Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we're joined by Danilo McGarry as we talk personal cultures, general bias and tension, and generational learning styles to see how they impact lean culture growth and approaches taken by lean practitioners and also by leadership within organizations. Danilo has almost 20 years experience of designing, delivering, and scaling global technology and operational initiatives. He's led some of the largest and most respected transformation, artificial intelligence, data, and innovation programs in market-leading blue-chip companies including the Citigroup and the United Health Group. Danilo's work has been published in the Financial Times, The Times, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance and Computer Weekly. Danilo is ranked top 10 in the world by research and consultancy firms in various tech domains such as AI, innovation, digital transformation, CRS and data. He is well connected in tech circles where he's actively involved with tech and advisory companies with whom he develops digital strategy and digital ecosystems. Danilo is ranked in the top 50 most powerful people in AI, ranked top 20 in the world for digital transformation and ranked number one in the world two years in a row as the top automation executive. Wow, Danilo, welcome to the Everseline podcast. Well, thanks very much. You could have just said uh, Danilo, you know, a nice bloke and that would have been enough. <laughs> yeah, a lovely geezer. <laughs> That's a lot. I made one mistake. That's not too bad, is it? I did quite well. I said digital as well a lot when I say digital, so it's fine. Yeah, it's. I think. Do you know what it is? It's black text on white backgrounds. I prefer it the other way round. <laughs> I like black backgrounds with white text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah me too, actually. For the long run, it helps. It's better on the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing anyway? Very good, thank you. We've just gone through Christmas and getting ready for New Year's, so um, yeah, it's a good time of the year to reflect and uh, you know have a podcast like this it's uh it's gonna be a good one i think i find like the end of the year going into the start of the new year although it really it's just another week and another day yeah. if there's something refreshing about it isn't there it's like that clean slate feeling that wow let's go again i'm ready it's definitely psychological but yeah like you said it's just another day another 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 week but yeah i think it's uh it's healthy uh to look at it as a reflection month reflection week as well mm. so yeah i think our, our discussion today should hopefully bring about a lot of thought and uh, and hopefully question you know questions in a lot of people's minds about how they're managing people and how they're also behaving in the work environment so i hope it helps do you know what it definitely got me thinking you and i spoke a couple of weeks ago when we were doing like the prep conversation for this podcast and the things you said really got me thinking and i've done lots of research since and it sucked me in this generational stuff and this bias stuff is is really deep yeah uh, i think um you know lean of course is 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 a concept that has been around for a long time but it was kind of used more traditionally of course by toyota 
Lean Six Sigma. You also got Kaizen, Kaiban as well. You know, a lot of it led out of Japan and kind of proliferated across the world and started the manufacturing and proliferated across different industries. But the, the bit that I find most interesting about Lean itself and, and the concept of Lean is how it's seen and how it's used by different generations. And then to layer a little bit of culture into there as well is how different people from different countries, from different generations will think about Lean and use it in their day-to-day lives and at work as well. Because I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, when, when you're a program manager or when you're a C-level and you want the company to be Lean, I think they don't understand that a framework is not enough. You need to understand the cultural bias in your company and you need to understand also the visions of generations in your company as well. So this is something I, I you know, would be cool if we kind of talk a little bit about it. And, and, and hopefully by the end of this, you know, people who are, you know, responsible for driving a Lean culture can then think about it a little bit more dynamically and a little bit more holistically as well. And also people who themselves are trying to use Lean, you know, they can also reflect upon maybe why they're having a difficult time implementing it or why is it a little bit easier for them versus other colleagues who have different cultural backgrounds and come from different generations. It's massively overlooked. Um, I just think back on my experiences and looking through the lens that we're discussing now, I see it huge overlooks. So for those of you that aren't familiar with this, this sort of space, so generational theorists propose that people are deeply influenced in their thinking by events, experiences and technology that were part of the world during their formative years, so in their upbringing. And people who were born during a certain era share common experiences when growing up. It's a really, I talk about this a lot actually with, with my family. It's a really funny thing. When you're at school, you're put into age groups. So you're in year one, two, three, four, five. You're with people of your own age. No, you do not mix with people who are in a different age group. When you get older, you don't go to work and they say, how old are you? And you go, oh, I'm, I'm 30. They go, right, the 30-year-olds are over there and the 25-year-olds are over here. You mix and it's different, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to stereotype people. This is one of the things you should definitely not do. But th- there seems to be a lot of correlation between people born between certain years. And that's why it's, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of say, oh, you know, are you a traditionalist, a baby boomer, a Generation X, a millennial, Generation Y, Generation Z? But there are some people, of course, who are Generation Y that portray Generation X traits. But, you know, for, for, to help a discussion like this, I think it's good to have that. And also, it's, it's, it's good as well for people who are in one of those categories. So let's say if somebody is in the millennials category, you know, there are a lot of stigma against millennials and they need to be also conscious of that when they're carrying themselves at work because if they do something that's traditional for a millennial, then of course, people who are from different generations, like from boomers or generation X, they're going to go, oh yeah, you know, millennial speaking. So one must also be conscious of what groups they are, you know, generally stereotyped to be in and they must be also be careful not to carry the traits and just solidify people's thinking that generation brackets and groups do exist. Uh, it's just about self-awareness, if you, if you ask some of the most mm. you know influential people in the world, one of the greatest skills you could have in your life is, is self-awareness because you tend to learn faster, you understand your mistakes better, you, know, you accept that you're not perfect, you know, you're okay with molding yourself into something that is more successful and, and better. Um, so self-awareness is one of those key things. So you know, so again, whoever's listening, if they're upset that I, you know, we're stereotyping anyone, it's just for the sake of this discussion, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but also it helps people uh, when they're, we're a bit more self-aware. It's, it's like, 
making a Yorkshire pudding, if you don't get all the ingredients right in there, your pudding's going to come out flat. You're not going to get the nice Yorkshire pudding that you're looking for. And that's what creating a culture is like, I think. You touched on it then about the different types of generations. So you've got the Generation X, the boomers. I'm just going to summarise what each of those are. When I read these, I was trying to think, where am I? Where do I fit within these? So I wonder if you guys are going to all do the same. So you've got the silence and the silence like to be the experts. So silence like to give people a head start with time to review summaries or written materials beforehand. Uh, They provide the big picture and then the details afterwards and use real examples. And they go easy on the funny anecdotes because they may detract from the progressive line of thought. Then you've got the boomers. Boomers are commonly friendly and coordinated. They use interaction and dialogue because as a generation, they've been known to have authority issues. So again, we're not typecasting. Don't don't take it personally. If you're a bloomer, that's a, a, a bloomer. A boomer. A bloomer's a bread. <laughs> if you're a bloomer, if you're a boomer, uh, they are competitive. They like to shine by asking questions about their experiences. And then you've got the Generation X Now, Generation X people like to have goals and outcomes described because time is a commodity and they don't want to waste it. They like choices. They like how and when they learn. Generation X people tend to prefer working alone. They feel comfortable using humor. They use bullet points and highly visual materials and make everything relevant. Xers learn so they can get it done. And they're always willing to say, I don't know, let's find out, which is massive in lean. I think in a lean culture, you need to be able to say, do you know what? I don't know. And then the final one is the millennials. Now, they set up learning so that millennials do the real work uh, and they do it collaboratively. They like challenging problems set out. They drive to create the solutions. Then once the solutions have been identified, they like to debrief. They listen to everyone's ideas and use those as coaching moments. Danilo, did I get that right? You did. And and there's actually two more. So you got Generation Y, which are after the millennials. So they're they're the kind of the new interns, the new analysts, which are in companies today. And then you also have Generation Z, which are not yet in the workforce, but they will be coming into the workforce in the next couple of years. So roughly in the developed world, in US uh, and UK, and of course, there's other countries in the developed world, 27% of the workforce are Generation Y already. So Generation Y uh, are definitely uh, a a good amount, right? a good quarter of the workforce today. Generation Millennial are the ones which are running companies today. They're the kind of the new management. And of course, you've got Generation X, which are the current kind of C-level people, you know, getting close to retirement soon. And you still have, of course, some boomers which are running companies in their 60s plus. So in, in a in a large company, it's very normal to have five different generations working in a company. So all the way from boomers to Generation X, millennials, Generation Y, and then some Generation Z as well as interns. So that's why this is such a, a relevant topic. It's amazing. Five generations working in a company is, is a pretty yeah. big thing they need to consider, right? I've got to ask the question that everybody's sitting there thinking, why did it start at X and what happens after <laughs> Z? Funny, today I was I was driving in the car. I was just listening to a couple of things, preparing for this. And I started thinking, gosh, what happens after Generation Z? Is it going to be Generation 1, 2? Or is yeah. it back to ABC? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. Yeah. I'm sure there's a, there's context around it we don't know, but uh, very interesting. It is. It's a super interesting subject. I've got to ask, which one are you then? Where do you fit in those uh, categories? You see different people put different brackets of years for different categories. So it's hard to know. Uh, but I am in the Generation X to Millennials bracket. And depending on different definitions, I'm a Millennial. Yeah. Depending on different definitions, I'm Generation X. So I'm, I'm right in the in the cusp of those two. It, it's funny because I, my son is 10 years old and 
And, you know, we're at that age now where he's talking about what he wants to be when he grows up. I was trying to explain to him, he was talking about all these different jobs, like, you know, a game creator, he wants to be a coder for games. And and then he wanted to be a YouTuber because, you know, YouTubers are cool and and they make money really easy, apparently. Um, (laughs) He's telling me all these things that he could do. And I sat there and I said to him, do you know what? When I was a kid, none of these these roles existed. Like, they just didn't exist. And I've got a, you know, a four-month-old as well. And I think when she's older... I bet we don't even know now what the roles available will be. The world changes that much. Not to do any self-promotion, but in case people (laughs) want to know what to tell their kids to concentrate on, I actually do have a speech which talks about the jobs that would be available in 2030, 2040 onwards. That's on YouTube. Right. And I I do start talking about, you know, after post- Second World War period, how jobs have changed over time, and then cause of technological advancements. You know what are likely to be the jobs. You know, twenty years from now, and uh, basically what what kind of what research shows is there's going to be a, a massively aging population. So the same kind of problem Japan is having in a few other countries. You know, the UK, the US is also going to have as well. So what will happen is people will be caring for other people. That's going to become an even bigger industry. And usually, elderly people they don't really like to be interacting with robots. At least not the generation are in elderly homes today but they will be later on right when generation y go to elderly homes etc or older or there will be you know such a massive uplift in innovation technology in the next 15 years especially now with a recession coming you know technology is going to become a center and point again to kind of help us come out of all of this create new jobs new industries uh, you've got 5g you've got iot you've got um, a lot of things happening in the tech world which is really booming now so you know fast forward 15 years from now the jobs of the future are going to be essentially you are creating creating or working within AI, creating algorithms or in something to do with IoT or one of the high-tech industries, or you're looking after people. And even those people looking after people are going to be using high-tech as well. So these are the two categories, essentially. And then there is going to be the bit in the middle, which is the more creative folks, right? Which is the creators, the content creators, people creating shows, YouTube channels, and all this kind of stuff. But they're going to be in a great area because even they will be affected by technology as well. You know, it's uh, there are big industries today to do with um, digital versions of yourself. So there are, you know, famous people, uh, actors, models who have digital perfect creations of themselves that allows them to be in multiple places at a time, right? To be in, in digital catwalks, Gucci, a number mm. of big houses have started to use it. So again, even the creative people are going to be in the tech category. If they, if you don't know tech really well, you can't do your creative work well. So in the end of the day, you're going to have two categories in 15, mm. 20 years from now. It's going to be people in technology, really high tech type spaces like AI or people looking after other people it's incredible you just made me think of something have you ever seen the the movie multiplicity i have but it's a while back with michael keaton yeah so yeah. Mu- multiplicity for those that haven't seen it is michael keaton he, he's like an executive in a company and um he realizes he haven't got enough time to spend with his family and to do the the work around the house and to do everything so he, he clones himself and then he hit the clone finds he hasn't got enough time so the clone clones himself and you get a copy of a copy of a copy and, and you know as you copy of a copy they're not quite as good as the previous version and you end up with this clone running around in distant aspects of his life it just made me think <laughs> of that it's it's madness so yeah. There will be some people listening now that are, you know, new year, fresh start. They're going, right, I'm going to introduce a lean culture, continuous improvement in in my organization. I've got a workforce of multiple different generations. So it's a large organization. I've got some that have just left college. I've got some that are, you know, approaching the retirement age and everybody in between. Human beings tend to be a little bit nervous of change. You've got the change curve and the different aspects you go through. What would your advice be to me if I was in that situation? I was about to introduce this and I want to make sure that I create a culture that takes into account all of generations. 
Well, number one thing I would say is that you have to understand the context, right? We've just gone through COVID, you know, not too long before that we had a, you know, a little bit of a good time, but very quickly before that we had the financial meltdown. There's been a lot of quantitative easing, uh, trillions of pounds, dollars, euros have been printed. And now kind of, you know, the whole monetary system is, isn't a big mess. A lot of countries owing money to a lot of other countries. And there is, you know, a recession looming, right? You see a lot of companies letting go of their workforce, especially tech companies, which usually are the first to get hurt during the start of a recession. So it's very relevant for people to start thinking about how to work in the most efficient way going into 2023. Because as recessions start, one thing that tends to hit companies is top line revenue revenue starts to slow down. So in order for them to survive or to maintain a healthy EBITDA, they need to control their cost base. So when you look at lean, lean is about doing things as efficiently as possible with the least amount of waste, with the least amount of errors. Doing things efficiently means doing things with less resources or doing more things with the same resources. So lean is is really an enabler of that. It's a concept, it's a framework, you know, you can use it in the nth, you know, degree to kind of every meaning, every sentence of the word and of the concept and of the frameworks, or you can use it as a guiding point. So context, first of all, because why the hell are you doing this? Because you need to. And because every C-level is going to be looking at you trying to do this and every management is going to need to do this because there's going to be a lot of pressure on every company and every department of every company to start saving money because economy is starting to slow down. That's number one. Number two is actually educate yourself. Ask HR to provide a report. You know, what are the different you know categories of people do we have? Understand your market, right? The same way that you're going to, if you had a startup and you're going to sell something on the outside, you need to understand your workforce and what are they looking for? Then thirdly, do a little bit of study about, you know, different generations. Of course, these are stereotypes, but they are very good guiding points. You know, understand what is it that drives, you know, a boomer, a generation X, a millennial, generation Y, you know, really go after and try to understand this a little bit better and then try to marry the two. Uh, I'm a big strategist. I'm a, I'm a big chess player. So I like to think of moves and scenarios. This is how I think, you know, ever since I was a little kid when I started playing chess. So then create a strategy, right? Once you understand your workforce, you understand how each of them more or less think, then create a strategy. You know, how are you going to approach these people? Are you going to just kind of do a big bang, tell them about lean and that's it? That's not going to be good enough. So I always had this concept of, you know, carrot and stick. I think politicians use it quite a lot, unfortunately, but fortunately, good politicians use it. Everybody has a carrot. So if you think of yourself, you know, on a donkey, right? You have a carrot that's dangling in front of the donkey. Donkeys love carrots. The donkey will always walk towards the carrot if you're dangling the right carrot in front of him. So it's a metaphor of, you know, everybody cares about different things. And if you look at stereotypes as a guiding point for generations, then you can try to dangle the right carrot. So for instance, millennials, they have a massive sense of belonging. They, they need to understand that the mission of the company that they're in is aligned to what they want to do. And millennials have a very positive outlook on things. They want to change the world. They think they can conquer the world because the generations before them were quite successful, Generation X. So for them, you'd have to dangle the carrot of, look, the company needs you. Uh, we're changing the way we do things. We're going to change the company's culture. You have the opportunity here to make your mark. That will attract them, you know, as an example. Generation Y, a little bit more difficult. Um, they tend to job hop a lot more. It's, it's a, bit, <laughs> a bit less well understood. Uh, for them, it's not really only about pay. It's also about the experience that they have at work. 
So for instance, the, the carrot you have to dangle for them would be, look, you're going to have a better experience at work. There's going to be better technology deployed to you. These are people that grew up in their house full of technology, right? Tablets, computers, cell phones, you know, smartphones. So for them, if you offered them a better working environment in terms of efficiency and tooling, better technology and more fun, better work life experiences, better work life balance, then they will take that carrot. So you just got to strategize it in a way that you're dangling the right carrot for the right generation and you disseminate it in that way. And then you have the right champions in place that represent each of those generations as well. You know, I don't want to over confuse the workplace because it's already quite confusing with different departments and different, you know, conflicts of interest. Every company has a little bit of conflict of interest. You know, essentially, we're all people, right? And we all want, they're all working for money and we're all working to try to have a best possible time we can. But that's that's no longer a good way to operate in terms of managing your workforce. You need to understand your workforce a little bit better than that in order to get more juice out of them, right? In order to get more performance out of them. And if you look at, you know, some of the best uh, performing, you know, teams in the world, whether it's sport teams, etc., they understand each other intimately. Like they under, they go to each other's houses. They understand each other's upbringing. They do psychology sessions together. They do positive mindset sessions together. You know, there's a lot of intimacy in high performance teams. And you can't get intimate with someone. You can't understand them, what drives them, unless you understand where they come from and why is it they're, they're hungry for something. I think combining all of these things together, you know, it's at least a five-step plan there of how do you approach, you know, introducing lean, but keeping in mind that you have a generation, you know, different generations in the workplace. And then understanding your workforce as well is key. So for instance, let's talk a little bit about third world countries, right? Uh, people that come from third world countries. I know this is not the correct term. It's, you know, less economically developed and more economically developed. For instance, I, I grew up in Brazil. I did come from very humble beginnings where we had to ration food. We had to ration normal supplies and things like that. Thankfully, I wasn't in that position for very long, but I was born into that. So for me, lean is ingrained into my head anyway. I don't like to waste resources. It's, it's, it's that concept that we discussed in the prep up to this. You know, if you have a full bottle of something, of milk, or if you have a full loo roll, you know, it's, com it's, it's just human behavior to just take as much as you want because there's so much abundance. So the way I like to think of it in terms of an analogy is... People that come from less economically developed countries are always the ones that, you know, have that little bit of fluid in that bottle. They're going to have to put some water in there. They're going to have to try to make the most of it. They're going to have to make that thing last because there isn't much of it left. And people that come from more economically developed countries, surrounded by, you know, opportunity and, and wealth, doesn't, doesn't mean they're very rich, but they have a lot more opportunity than people from less economically developed countries. You know, they're always with their bottle full. So for them, thinking in lean concept is a lot more difficult because they haven't had to do it on a personal level. So when a company asks them to do this, they just think, oh yeah, greedy company. They just want to get more money out of me and for me to cost less. They can't connect to that ask as much as people that come from less privileged backgrounds. It's completely alien to them. It's just totally new experience. Well, it is, but it, it's also a little bit of, it drives a little bit of confrontation. People sometimes, <laughs> for very weird reasons, they tend to also, as much as they need the company that they work for, they also despise the company as well if it's very successful. So every time a company, you know, who is successful asks their workforce, hey, I need you to do this because we need to become more efficient. We need to save money. There are some people in the workforce I have seen in different companies that they kind of resent that. They kind of go, oh yeah, greedy company. They just want me to, uh, to produce more. 
more with less. But they they don't fully understand that that company needs to be successful to pay their salaries, right? It, like it's very hard to run a company efficiently unless you have the right mindset and culture in it in order to run it in the best way possible, right? It's not just about shareholders. It's about longevity of that company and people need to care. So I, I just find that there is a lot more of this mm-hmm. that I have seen because I've lived, I've gone to 59 countries now in my wow. life. I've lived in four countries and worked in three different countries in two or three different continents. So I've been around. I've seen a lot more of this kind of love-hate relationship in more economically developed countries, but in less economically developed countries when a company asks their employees to save money or to do something more efficiently, they kind of get it because they grew up in that environment. They understand that doing something with resources efficiently is important. And it's just a concept that they've been used to their whole life. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author, Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? Listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves. Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. That culture piece is massive. I've been very fortunate that I've got to travel globally like yourself through work. And just, just looking at Europe, just, just a small part of the globe, there's so many different cultures. You know, I've been guilty in the past of trying to deploy something in the same way across each of those different countries. And then I'm surprised every single time when it fails, it only seems to happen in the UK, but then it fails in Germany and France and Spain and Italy. And it, it's because the cultures are different and you can't you can't do things the same way. You you need to think about how it's seen and how it's taken. It's really funny you you saying the the analogy that we spoke about with the, the loo roll about where you you know if there's loads of loo roll on there will you use a lot and if it's only a little bit will you just use a little bit? I've spent the entire Christmas asking all my family that analogy just to find out what they would say because I found it super super interesting. <laughs> and and I've I've found with my wife so my my wife had a a bit of more of a difficult upbringing than what I did and my wife will get the toothpaste and she's even got a little device that rolls it when it gets down to the very last bit to squeeze mm-hmm. the last little bit out because she never had much money whereas me you know i, I do yeah. it halfway yeah. that one's gone chuck that away yeah. and you do do it but you see this this is super this is super important and i think a lot of companies don't understand this you see that that upbringing and it's not your fault i mean you you were in a better upbringing that's just the way it is it's where the chips fell right it's where the cookie crumbles whatever <laughs> yeah. way you want to call it but that makes a difference right like it it should be in theory harder for a person with a better upbringing to fully encapsulate and execute lean because they just haven't had to do it from a necessity point of view. Of course, there are people who are, they just, they they do it and they do it anyway, better than anybody else. But it's just a general guiding stick. It's it just mentally, in terms of a barrier, it's a harder thing to cross because you haven't had to do it from a necessity point of view. I, th- I find myself looking at people now, thinking about this when I'm looking at them. People are passing the street. I'm looking at them thinking, hmm, <laughs> you're a different generation to me. Do you think yeah, differently? Yeah. You, th- you see, one thing that you, you brought up there for a second is, you know, sometimes projects fail. And a lot of times people are just left 
you know, management are left kind of scratching their head. Oh, why didn't this work? We did everything right. We hired an agency and all of this. Most of the time I have found things fail because of the lack of understanding of the workforce. What do, what carrots do they care about? And what carrots do different mm-hmm. groups care about? You know, it's sometimes you have uh, 10 groups that will adopt something extremely well. And it's like those two groups, those really difficult two groups that just don't adopt something that you want them to adopt. And you just don't get it. You try different things. But the last thing people ever think of is, oh, they come from a different culture, a different generation. Let's do it differently for them. You see, a lot of leaders today, I find, are just lazy. They're not going the extra mile in trying to really understand their market. Their market is their workforce. It's not only their clients they need to understand. They need to understand their workforce. They need to take a less lazy approach to doing that. Because if they do that, they will get a truly high-performance company and a high-performance team. I saw a, uh, a poll on LinkedIn the other day, and I think the question was something along the lines of, what's more important, keeping your customers happy or keeping your employees happy? And most people on that poll had put customers. And I thought, well, if you keep your employees happy, they will keep the customers happy. You know, it's a funny thing. Like, if, if you talk to different people, Richard Branson, you know, he says, he says very vividly, if I don't care, take care of my workforce, there's there's no customer base. Yeah, they'll treat my customers terribly. And he's right. But it's a little bit like, you know, if you look at Five Guys, it's a chain uh, restaurant, amazing burgers and hot dogs and so on. They're very successful family-led company. They've generated a billion euros, I think, of dollars now in sales since they started about 20 or so years ago. They don't do any That's marketing. Point. You have to, yeah, so you, you, have to, you have to really understand that good products will bring you customers, but also a great workforce will make customers have a better experience. Like the, the CX, the biggest thing in CX is, of course, the interaction, the technology, you know, the portals and everything that they go through has to be top-notch, but eventually they're going to have to speak to someone. And when they do speak to someone they have to feel different than what they do speaking to all your other competitors so taking care of your people is is very important i think it's it's like you know you, you can't think of an end game all the time you got to think of planting the right ingredients just like with five guys right they have a great product they didn't have to think about everything else they just have a great product that will spread through word of mouth same thing with your employees if you have a great employee base the customers will come especially if you have a good product when I was doing the research for, for this show, one of the things I read about, and I was hoping you could expand on it a bit more for us, is the generational bias and tension. So the definition of this is generational bias tension means that you believe that everyone of a certain generation is either inferior to your generation or displays a certain negative behavior. It's the idea that people in a particular age group tend to share a distinct set of beliefs, attitude, values, and behaviors because they all grew up and come of age during a particular period in history. And I think a really good example of that is if if you see a group of teenagers outside a shop, most people's natural reaction is, oh, there's a load of hooligans outside that shop. There might just be lovely kids that happen to be hanging around yeah. together. Do you know what I mean? You know, unfortunately, bias is something we all grew up in. And we have to be very careful with bias because it puts us into a box, it enables us not to think properly. Uh, again, look, I, 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 don't, I don't ever use the generational categories as bias. It's more of a guiding stick in order to kind of, you know, more or less, this is what this person will like. But of course, you've got to go to their level. You've got to understand what they care about in an individual point of view. Generational bias is normal. It's a bit like tribal in any situation you have at work, at school, uh, social surroundings. You know, you're going to have tribes. You're going to have groups of people that stick together and they kind of fight the other groups <laughs> or, you know, they try to play this kind of competition, right? It's just, it's human nature. 
I have seen a lot of, you know, millennials being very angry at Generation X and boomers because they're extremely dedicated to their work. People that uh, came from after the Second World War, where if it didn't work, they wouldn't survive. You know, these are people that were defined by their work, right? So if somebody came to you and kind of, you know, asked about you, the first thing they would mention, you know, usually boomers and Generation X, when you ask them something about them, the first thing they'll say is what they do for a living. It's actually quite interesting. And that's come out in research. It's not coming from me. So they are defined by their work. They are married to their work. Whereas Generation Y, they felt that neglect going up where their mothers and fathers would kind of be very dedicated to work, give them very little time because they're trying to provide, of course, you know, it's for a good reason, but they don't want to do that to their kids. So, you know, it's sometimes generational bias comes from life experience as well. It's not just from people pointing fingers at other people. It just comes from life experience. So it's something that we cannot get away from. It's something that just happened because of economic conditions, because of cultural conditions. You know, after the Second World War, we needed to rebuild the whole world again. So, you know, the boomers were busy doing that. You know, you can't blame them for being dedicated to doing that. It's like that very interesting quote, you know, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. <laughs> How do you remember that? <laughs> the boomers, the boomers for us, I think they were the strong men and women who helped us rebuild our world, right? Helped us come back to the good times. So we have to be thankful for them. We have to recognize that. But unfortunately, yeah, Generation Y today are left with a massive debt burden to pay off. They're having to go to universities that they can't afford. They're leaving university with massive debts. They're not able to buy homes. You know, one interesting thing I I saw today is that baby boomers, when they went and they went to buy a home, so the average cost of a home in America, let's say, was about $82,000. Average, right? There Mm -hmm. were cheaper homes even. The average cost of a home in the US today is $480,000. The interest rates were higher back in the kind of 70s and 80s, but they did go down to a good level. But for instance, it, it took a, a baby boomer roughly five years to buy their home. Generation Y is taking them an average of 30 years to buy their homes. Scary. So that kind of situation puts people under stress. People make fun of Generation Y for asking for pay rises constantly, but it's because they're under a massive debt burden, Mm. right? They're having to pay bigger debts than boomers were having to pay. So for instance, boomers could complain, oh yeah, Generation Y always asking me for pay rise, but they need to stop and think. These are different times to the 70s. These are different times. These people are under a lot more pressure. That's why, again, having a little bit more understanding about different generations is important because you start to understand why a generation or a person coming from a certain period in time, regardless of whatever name tag you give them. You start to understand why they behave in a certain way. Why is this guy asking me for a pay rise every six months? Oh yeah, damn, because he came out of college with a much bigger debt than I Mm. did when I went to university, right? So we can blame each other all we like, but end of the day, I think the biggest commodity going into next year, you know, hard times will come, is compassion, understanding, and cultural awareness so that people who have interactions with other people, people who are leaders, are taking a step back and just really not being lazy about being leaders. They're actually thinking about why are people asking me things? Why are people behaving in certain ways? Ah, could be because of their culture, their background, the tag that they might have in terms of, mm. you know, which generation do they belong to? The thing is that, and you're right, times times have changed in terms of the cost of living, but the cultural stereotype of you grow up, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids, that aspiration is still 
treated exactly the same as it was 50 years ago. And people look to their parents, their grandparents, perhaps their brothers and sisters, if they're a slightly different generation, see, they've done that and they want to do the same. But it's difficult now. I disagree. I disagree, actually. Really? Yeah, Matt, I disagree. So I, I, I do um, a, a lot of young enterprise stuff, which is basically I go to schools, I talk to people about, you know, careers and things like that. I used to do that a lot more. I used to be a young enterprise ambassador. I'm also Generation Y as well. I have some people working for me who are in Generation Y and I interact with a lot of people in Generation Y because I try to be cool, of course. <laughs> um, a lot of them are not getting married and a lot of them are not having children. So this is why a lot of the developed world is actually depopulating. If you look at, you know, some big thinkers, right? Big leaders, Elon Musk, etc. One of the biggest problems actually that the world faces today is not kind of the green revolution or anything like that. There's actually a depopulation world where you're going to create the same kind of issues that Japan is having right now, but in other countries too. So people are not getting married because you know, the old style school thinking of getting married used to be because of financial status or social gain, right? That's why they had a lot of arranged marriages and that's going down as well a lot in the last kind of 10, 15 years. Today, it doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. You don't generally get married to someone because of social status or for money unless you do it from a different point of view, right? It's not something your family get together and arrange. And also getting married today is a lot more expensive. Uh, having <laughs> yeah. kids, having kids is a lot more expensive because they, they have to go to schools, they have to go to universities, and those universities have gone up hundreds of percent in the last 20 years. So actually, the problem is the opposite. Generation Y are having less kids and getting married less. Again, looking at Japan, because they're quite an advanced, let's say, civilization, they're having a huge problem with people getting married, so much so that nobody's dating anymore. It's a kind of all online social media dating. You know, physical dating and getting married and being in relationships is, is a real problem. And that's something we're going to start seeing as well in Europe and in the US. So, so is that my generational bias then coming out there? It could be. It could be. Again, cultural background, right? Yeah. Maybe in your household, yeah. you had a very strong base, right? Uh, mother and father, grandparents been together for a while. I don't know what your background is. Yeah, you've nailed it. <laughs> there you go. So, so, so in you, it's ingrained because you have these good examples. But if you look at millennials, for instance, where the people starting to lead today, right? Generation X is still there, usually you see level. Um, divorce rates have gone up a lot more because of Generation Y kind of coming into the world and kind of seeing things a little bit differently. They don't see themselves being defined by their work or defined by their relationships. They're defined by themselves. It's a very individualistic approach. So interesting. Yeah, marriages are down and uh, divorce rates are up and uh, having kids. Yeah, a lot of countries are depopulating. When you talk about my upbringing, I was very much brought up to believe that the boss tells you what to do and you do it. You don't answer back. You don't question it. You don't have any input into it. You just do as you're told. I went into the work world believing that. And, you know, as I've gone through my career and I've become a leader of people and, and I've, I very much think now that outlook was very wrong. And I think the world has changed. And I think it's very much, you know, empathy is probably the greatest skill set to have, I find, as a leader is to understand your people and empathize with them. It's, it's huge. Oh, yeah. Look at the upbringings, right? So I also I was up, brought up by a boomer. Right. So very much so, you know, you, you, you do what you're told and, and that's it. No, no questions asked. You just, just get it done and do it quickly. And I have unfortunately carried some of those traits into the way I bring up my children. But these are Generation Z yeah. and they're totally different. You have to explain why you're asking them to do something. They have a lot more education than we did when we were growing up. So it is it is it is different. You really must be careful. 
A lot of boomers in Generation X are leading companies today, right, at the very top. And they just say something. They expect their employees to do it. But they need to understand that in their workforce is Generation Y and millennials. These are people that need to understand why you've asked something. They need to be given context. They also have their own ideas about how to lead the company. And they're not afraid to talk about it too. It's very easy for a company to have, you know, disgruntled employees, people who are not aligned to the vision of the company because they are being led a lot by maybe, you know, baby boomers and Generation X that don't appreciate generational groups within their company. I'm bringing up this topic because I find it quite interesting personally, but I also want to help people as well who are in leadership. I think um, it's not so much about, you know, if someone doesn't like where they work for whatever reason, because it's not kind of touching or dangling the right carrots for them. I mean, they, they can just leave and just go somewhere else. I mean, the world's not going to end. They might leave a negative review on Glassdoor or something, but that's, you know, about as bad as it gets. But actually, it's a lot more and more important than that, right? So if you multiply that one person by five, 10,000 people, you have a lot of people who are kind of silently quitting, right? Silent quitting is a it's a big trend that's been happening, you know, throughout COVID and after. You have those people, the you know, the mass, the mass levers, right? People who just quit and become DJs or a barista in, in Indonesia or somewhere else. You know, if a company has a lot of people like that, mm. it's very difficult for a company to achieve its full potential. So actually, this topic is is not just about tagging people and things like that. It's it's really about think about if if a good quarter or half of your workforce is having issues connecting to the company values and to you know instigating lean, being you know being responsible with resources and doing things properly, you're actually maybe not achieving you know, a good amount of the potential you could as a company. So actually lean and thinking about lean from different generational groups could give you a good 20, 30, 40, whatever the number is, percentage improvement over where you are today. And just not just going that extra mile to try to understand your employee base, I think can really drive a lot more value out of it than almost any other thing. Like, you know, introducing new tools, introducing, you know, new policies about, you know, team events and things like that there's a lot more to it that can come out of it if people took the time to understand it so moving on to uh, another part of your work which is robotics and ai um, and what uh, the role this plays in future companies and and one of the the questions that i think people will ask immediately when you talk about ai the first thing that springs to mind is well what about the people is that taking jobs away from human beings what would you say to that it's actually totally the opposite if you look at the uh, automation or ai initiatives from most companies it's all about augmenting it's all about taking the robot out of the human and as soon as people realize that i think they start really embracing it a lot more so i i haven't been in a single company where we mass unemployed people because of automation or ai and i've ran some of the biggest automation programs in the world so i mean in terms of credibility or you know having a good source for that kind of to squash that uh, misunderstanding i mean this is it if you think about efficiency and lean what is the most efficient thing you could do you could automate something or you could just get rid of it right in most cases you need to do it so then you automate it you know that is the the epiphany of efficiency, getting a robot to do something that you need to do thousands or hundreds of times a minute or a second or a day and getting that done in an automated way. I went into robotics and AI because a lot of times I was struggling, right? Like you can teach lean as much as possible to people and people can be as efficient as possible. But at the end of the day, they're human. They're going to act up. They're going to do things a little bit different. They're going to mess up. They have to correct errors. But if you have a mature, stable, you know, high frequency processes and tasks in the company, which every company has, you should automate those. One, it's to make the company more efficient. Two, it's to give a better work-life balance and better work experience for the employee. So that's really going to touch the hearts of the millennials and generation 
question why, right? Who don't want to be doing boring copy and paste and reconciliation type tasks. Nobody wants to be doing that, but especially those groups. And then it's also about, you know, driving a culture for the company, giving the culture of, okay, you need to be lean, but here are all the tools in the shed you need in order to keep your garden tidy. Automation is one of those. Automation today means a lot of things, a lot more things than it did five, 10 years ago. So it is a more complete tool set than it is today. AI means a lot more things today than it did five years ago. But those are really the epiphany of efficiency. You know, If you can get as much automation AI in a company for the right things, not for everything, not everything should be automated, not everything should have AI, then you are really going to go into that next level of, of lean thinking and lean execution ai in itself it, it removes the variation doesn't it human beings like you say get tired have bad days have emotions and variation is one of the biggest causes of waste whereas a machine if it's set up properly doesn't have variation it'll be the same every single time which is what you want yeah yeah, it is. And a lot of a lot of um, automation gets criticism because they say, well, you know, if the process changes, then the robot doesn't work anymore. The AI is going to be wrong. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like with any, you know, you give the right tool to the right person. Some of them will do absolutely disastrous work with it. And some of them will create miracles. You just got to hire the right professionals to do this. And you will have an effective automation and AI program. You know, a lot of scare stories in, in the market today. These things aren't going right. There's the kind of the three lucky try wonder of companies. They, they fail the first two times when they start automation in the eye. They're successful the third time. It's really just about taking it seriously, you know, embedding it to the company's culture, having the right professionals run the damn thing, and it will go right. And it will be a, an integral part of the company's lean culture. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. It's It makes total sense. It's just about executing it the right way. I guess like Generation Y and, and probably definitely Z, I would have thought, would expect automation when they go into a workplace. It is fully expected now. Yeah. So, you know, Generation Y and Generation Z, these people are, you know, they understand algorithms. You know, they're, they're probably taking Python classes in some of their schools or for, you know, a spare time because without Python, you can't really be relevant anymore in the next five years. So they understand this. They're expecting it. So they come into a workplace that doesn't have it. They'll be mm. disappointed because they're going to have to do all these mundane things that their previous generations have been doing. And they are thinking efficiently. Don't forget, these are people that have financial hardship. They have huge debts to pay. They want to have the best experience possible, the biggest bang for their buck, right? Which mm. is for the amount of work they're doing, they want to do the least amount of work possible for the amount of money they're getting paid. So for them, having these boring mundane tasks automated is, is a massive win to attracting them. I'll tell you a really interesting thing that happened to me last week. I had my gutters cleaned so you know like the, the leaves all I, I back onto the woods where i live so all the gutters are completely fallen overflowing and it was when we had the snow so it was really icy and i phoned up this this gutter cleaning company and this guy came round, and i was like oh i haven't had a chance to clear the ice yet your ladders are gonna slip and i'm in a, a very tall house and he was like oh, i don't need ladders don't worry about that i was like this is a bit strange anyway he, he did the job and then he rang the doorbell at the end and um he goes, I'm all done. And he whips out his phone. Mm -hmm. And on his phone, he's got a video of all the inside of all my gutters. So he's got this long rod and he holds it and it videos the gutters and it hoovers all the leaves out. No chucking them on the floor like what I used to do. Hoovers it all up, <laughs> shows me the video. And then I'm like, oh, that's really good. That's great. Thank you. And he shows me the entire house. Then he clicks that I'm happy with it on the smiley face and it pops up for my signature. This is all on his mobile. I then sign it. Mm -hmm. And then straight away, it pings me through a copy of the invoice. 
absolutely incredible and it just goes to show that's automation isn't it really it is. and it's it's happening in something like that which is typically a manual job it is i mean that's that's a great example of lean use of technology and in, in massively improving the customer experience but also the employee experience too because he's not having to climb ladders you know put himself in harm's way mm. that is the a great example of embedding all these things that we've been talking about it blew my mind see that that guy that guy will most likely stick around even if he's getting paid a little bit less than other places because he's having a much better experience and he's having a much better interaction with clients mm. because they're having a better experience too and he goes home happier he doesn't have to yeah. think about you know his foot getting broken or having getting his hands super dirty or you know hurting himself that's a great example of how to attract younger younger generation just have the right ingredients in place work properly right we're gonna have some fun now i've got a little game that i thought we could play there's there's no standard there's no automation here it's me pressing the button so it could go wrong <laughs> so this is called the yes no game there's 60 seconds i'm gonna fire you some questions now you need to answer those questions but you cannot say yes or no oh dear. so you need to think of different ways of answering it sounds really easy i've been doing some practicing and i haven't lasted more than 15 seconds it's it's actually harder than it sounds make sense yeah go for it so you cannot say yes or no so you will have 60 seconds I'm going to fire you as many questions as possible. Don't say yes or no. Your name is Danilo. Is that correct? Some people say so. <laughs> Do you call dogs puppies? It really depends on their size, but it could be sometimes. Do you like pina coladas? Only when I'm on a holiday. Have you ever got really drunk on them? Oh, never. Do you ever pick your nose when you think nobody's watching? Oh dear, I, I guess the answer has to be... <laughs> I can't say the other words. I think picking your nose is disgusting. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at this. And you've done it! You've Ooh, done it! It's well, over! It. You've that done went, it! Oh, wow, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> That's incredible. You know what's funny? When I was a kid, we used to play this game as well because it was a. There was it used to be only one channel in the whole Brazil, and there was this famous game that this guy used to play. His name was Silvio Santos, and he used to play this yes or no game. And people win. They kind of win a house, and it's kind of crazy stuff. So I used to grow up in this. So. Um, well, you. That's the the bar has been set. I mean, I thought you were you were going to be out after twenty seconds. <laughs> one one or two times, I almost said yes, though. No. Yes or no? Oh, that was fun. I need to practice on my questions, maybe. So, Dinilo, what's next for you then? What's coming up? Well, like I said, you know, next year is going to be incredibly important. There is a, a massive wave coming in terms of recessions and, you know, market difficulties. So I think that the work that I do is going to become increasingly important, finding ways to kind of provide more efficiency, better tooling, you know, having the right culture in place. Uh, so I really hope that next year, all of the work I've been leading up to is going to be able to pay off once again, just like it did during COVID and before during the financial crisis as well. So, you know, the third test of my life is coming. So I, I hope uh, I'm going to live up to the standard. You need one of those cinematic movie things to go with that there. Like the, the next step is coming. It's on its way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've only got to type in Danilo's name on YouTube and it brings up hundreds of videos. Trust me, I've done it. I've looked. There's loads on there. He's, he's quite the man on social media. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. I hope this was useful to your listeners. Some key takeaways from today's discussion with Danilo. I think definitely think about the generations within your workforce. 
you'll likely have many different generations within your team. Those that have been around for longer and those that have not been around for very long at all. And each of those will require perhaps a slightly different approach to how you change the culture. If you try and go at it the same way, you likely won't get the same result from everybody. So really do think about that. What I find really interesting about the generational bias piece is how it's crept into my world every single day without me even knowing about it. And I think now I'm aware of it, I will think very differently, or at least I hope I will. So if you know me and you see me tripping up on my generational bias, make sure you point it out. Super interesting conversation. Really excited to see what comes from AI over the following years. How businesses use automation as part of transformation. Like the gutter man that I spoke about before, which was absolutely amazing. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that creeps into many other areas of organisations and businesses and day-to-day activities that we get involved in. Apps on mobile phones are becoming so common now. Everything has an app. Even when I go to the supermarket, I don't have a loyalty card on my key ring like I used to. It's now an app. Everything is app-based, so super excited to see where we go. I'd love to jump in the DeLorean and jump forward 100 years just to see what things look like, wouldn't you? And then come back again. I don't want Biff getting the Armanac, the sports Armanac, and and changing the future. I'd love to be doing that. Anyway, fantastic conversation. Thank you, Danilo. Really enjoyed it. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks so much to Danilo for joining us today to talk to us about generational bias, the importance of engagement with our workforce, understanding your employee base, which is is massive. If you don't understand your people, how can you expect to create a culture and deliver the benefits and the vision that you have for your organization? His work in artificial intelligence is absolutely brilliant. It doesn't mean less jobs. The man said it himself. So if you missed that bit, why back and listen to that bit again because it's it's massive. If you like the sound of today's show and you would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast at everseline.com where you will also find episodes that you might have missed. Also, if you're on the socials, search for the Everseline podcast, give us a follow and let me know about your lean efforts. I would love to hear them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Everseline, you know it makes sense. The Everseline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everseline.com to find out more.